And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. So late last night, Chelsea sacked Graham Potter after just seven months in charge. In a statement, the club said, Graham has agreed to collaborate with the club to facilitate a smooth transition. I have no idea whether we'll be able to tell you what that means or not over the next half hour or so. Uh, But hopefully we'll tell you why Chelsea acted now, who's in the frame to take over and where Potter himself might end up next. Oh, and we might touch on Brendan Rodgers being sacked as well or leaving, um, whatever they choose to phrase it as. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Bridge as the home side slump into the lower half of the Premier League table. The record books will say it is another defeat. Joining us for this one, then, the Athletics' David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, and our Chelsea correspondent Simon Johnson, who could probably do with a good night's sleep. Let's, let's deal with the collaborate first, David, because I had to text you last night before doing another show going, What on earth? does that mean? That is a very good question. I suspect it means that this has been conducted amicably and that Graham Potter uh, hasn't caused a huge fuss about Chelsea's decision. There's not much he can do about it anyway, but that he's taken it in good grace and that everything has remained cordial and friendly and he has cooperated with the process that will see him receive a market rate compensation, not for the entirety of uh, the remaining duration on his five-year contract that was signed in September 2022, and also that he was compliant in uh, and understanding in the process to uh, allow his staff uh, in the majority to stay on behind and manage Chelsea in the interim period while they try and appoint a permanent successor. So I think that is uh, management speak for not throwing the toys out of the pram and going to war with your now former employers. Do you think he'd have had every right to throw his toys out of the pram, Simon? I'm not sure he's that kind of guy, Mark, to be honest. He's, he's a very amenable chap. You can, you can criticise him about a lot of things that he's done since taking over at Chelsea, but one of the reasons he was liked by a lot of people at the club was he's a nice guy he constantly would say in press conferences to us I am what I am I'm I'm, I'm not going to be someone I'm not I'm he, he's not like previous managers that that perhaps would have reacted totally differently I almost feel like going <clears throat> Antonio Conte for example where, which ended in 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 a legal uh, issue I also think that Graham deep down would have known that this is coming. He, he said many, many times, this can only go on so long, I'm, I, I'm not stupid, I, I know results, etc., etc. And unfortunately, when, when he went on that brief winning run, which sort of delayed things, I would say, he was unable to build on that with the results against Everton and, and of course, the loss to Aston Villa at home. 
five more drop points and and clearly enough was enough. What's your reaction to it all, Adam? Quite sad for him in some ways, you know. I mean, we've been kind of eaten up and spat out by this kind of brutal top of the Premier League machine. You know, when you think of what his reputation was four or five months ago compared to now, I mean, it's a real... You know, just to think of the person before you sort of speak about you can you could all speak about the coach and the record, but like to go from being so publicly praised and venerated to now almost to really being quite publicly humiliated to be sacked after twenty two games, what about five months into a five six year contract? I mean, it is uh, that must be a really really difficult thing to deal with. So you know, I hope over time that he's able to rebuild himself in the way that. David Moyes has, for example, but it's probably the end of his kind of aspirations of being a, a top Champions League manager, and because that's the way that football works, and that's that's quite a sad thing. Although you would say, wouldn't you, that there is an awful lot of sympathy for him, Simon, given the kind of whirlwind he subsequently found himself in. It's been a perfect storm all season, Mark. You know, for, for want of a better phrase. In, in that, yes, there's a lot of faults around Potter and the results were not good enough. But a lot of managers would have struggled under these circumstances. Perhaps should not have struggled as much as he has. But a squad of over 30 players, there's been a, a there's been an extraordinary injury list, key players missing. I mean, then Gaila Conte, he only got to work with him for about 20 minutes, effectively, <laughs> in, in the in the first team. Training was obviously always going to be the ultimate test of a man management exercise. When, when you've got so many players, you've got to organise separate practice games for another group of players because 11 v 11 was not enough. But in saying all this, he was almost, I wouldn't say doomed to failure from the get-go, but a manager like Graham Potter replacing Thomas Tuchel in September was always going to be a very difficult exercise because he's a totally different coach. Needs plenty of time on the training ground to get his ideas across. And yet he basically walked into a midweek weekend schedule where he had very little time to, to clearly make his mark. On the timing of this, David, did Chelsea basically think we need to move fast because of what else is out there? In the same way, I did, you know, we did a Bayern Munich one last week and Raf Honestein made the point that, that Bayern work in a way of they make the move before it goes wrong because they know that someone's available and they want them. Now, I know this has been going wrong, but have Chelsea basically gone, crikey, if we don't go now, there could be a whole load of clubs that get there before us for whoever it may be. Well, with all due respect to the new Chelsea ownership, Bayern are far more experienced in this sort of thing and they've got a track record, whereas the Todd Bowley Clear Lake Capital Consortium have never done it before. Obviously, they sacked Thomas Tuchel, but that was in their very early days. But there was some preamble to this because I think Potter was on extremely thin ice around the time of the Leeds United Premier League game that was followed by the Dortmund Champions League match and he managed to win both of those and secure a stay of execution but I do think the ownership would have been considering the situation then despite the fact that their intention 
was to judge him by years, not months or games. They wanted to give him time. They really do genuinely like him a huge amount as a person. They rate him highly as a coach. But the key thing that they were always saying is that they wanted to see tangible progress and they've been monitoring it. And previously, the sample size was deemed not big enough. But once he came through that period of games, which included a good win against Leicester. And then there was a really disappointing game against Everton just before the international break. And I think because we all went off after that, it was kind of swept under the carpet. It wasn't given the prominence it warranted. But I think that was extremely damaging for him. And then you come back from the international break and lose so badly to... Aston Villa, despite having 27 attempts, there are growing concerns over his judgment and team selection. You've got Liverpool coming up, the massive Champions League tie against Real Madrid. That sample size has got bigger. And then, yes, to your point, managers are starting to find themselves in, in an increasingly competitive pool because, you know, Tottenham have a vacancy. Uh, Leicester, obviously, slightly lower down the table. There's a consensus that Paris Saint-Germain may change this summer, possibly Real Madrid as well. And to my knowledge, one of the areas of thinking inside Chelsea was to steal a march on these rivals, competitors, because they will presumably be fishing in the same pond for the similar kind of candidates and Chelsea will want to get the best that they can. What did you say? How many chances against Villa? 27 shots at goal. Right. Well, so there you go, Adam. 27 shots at goal. I can't remember the game where, was it Southampton where Raheem Sterling missed a header from from five yards out? It was, I mean, yeah. You know, this is not, it's not a um, new point or a novel point, but I mean, if you're going to take positive, surely it's the number of chances that are being, what are you grimacing for? It's the number of chances that are being created. It's not Graham Potter's fault that in the mid-spending 600 million quid they decided not to buy a striker it's interesting you mentioned the Southampton game because I spoke to someone who someone who works for Chelsea last night and and they I was talking about the game they lost to at Tottenham a few weeks ago where I watched Chelsea that day for the first time in sort of four or five Chelsea games and I thought they were finished then actually under Graham Potter because you were watching them and I couldn't see anything of Chelsea that I used to see from Brighton or from Swansea. I just couldn't see anything Graham Pottery about that team. And I was watching, was thinking, there's a guy stood on the sidelines, but there's no reflection or representation of him in really what's happening on the pitch. In a good way, I mean, maybe some of the worst, the, the negative traits that many Brighton fans might talk about were there. In terms of like the team create chances, I mean, that's always going to happen when you've got players that are better than Southampton players, which is what he had. You know, you're always going to, as Chelsea at home, Southampton, you're going to create chances. Where I think it's quite interesting, and this is where I don't want to sort of create this kind of culture war between kind of the text, the kind of statistical side of oh, football. Oh, go on. And go on. Create, a big, you... create a big culture war. Go on. Let's create a big culture war. So Graham Potter and, and the XG kind of thing that went on at Brighton, where it was always... They are playing so well. They're creating chances. They're not scoring goals, and they're consi- they weren't good in both boxes, and that was true. But other managers that get really good performances out of their team, it doesn't happen to them in the same way. In terms of their team being so bad in both boxes, so consistently, and there's a point at which you know you can say that's unlucky for a few games, but when it becomes a real pattern over a few years. Actually, is there 
you know, when we talk about him being a nice guy and all of this kind of thing, is he just missing that switch of ruthlessness and clinicalness as a coach, as a person that really makes someone like Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Antonio Conte, Jose Mourinho, maybe in, in previous years, Eric Ten had that little level above. And that's a bit more intangible, but it, is there that element of the players just not being quite inspired enough, quite scared enough, quite switched on enough as a result of that? And I know that's a, that's a really hard thing to measure, but that's that's increased in the feeling I've got. I mean, it's really interesting when people look at Graham Potter's like period at Brighton. I think like his last twenty games at Brighton, the record was sensational. The win record was like sixty percent in the Premier League. If you actually look at, I think it was around twenty to twenty five games before that, the win record was about twelve and a half percent. And you start to then think, well, which one? is the actual pattern and representation of Graham Potter's level, when the patterns veer so much all the time. And that's kind of what happened at Chelsea. Started well and then kind of really, really tailed off. And you can't have those periods of form at a huge club like Chelsea. You just can't get away with it in the way that at Brighton, you can maybe say, okay, we're going to finish 14th instead of 11th in the first season. You just you just can't do that at Chelsea. Just touching on Adam's point about the players. I mean, one of the things I was told was that there would be half-time team talks where they would be sort of thinking, well, compared to Thomas Tuchel, they'd be sitting there going, oh, he's going to come in and absolutely rip into us. And there'd almost be a sense of trepidation. Now, you can sort of say, is that the right way to manage? But conversely, Graham would come in and, and would be very positive and, and, and very nice. That could also work, of course. I'm not saying it's all boiled down to being a nice guy at half time but there would be a feeling among the players like oh okay well that that was not what I was expecting to to hear and the other problem that he faced from day one was the fans never really took to him and and he's replacing an incredibly popular man they, they still mourn him now and I don't think I don't think it should be lost on the fact that as Chelsea were losing to Aston Villa on Saturday, Thomas Tuchel was masterminding a win over Borussia Dortmund in his first games by a Munich coach. And it, it just felt like... Graham Potter beat Borussia Dortmund. And to be honest, Simon, I could have buying, buying, I could have managed Bayern Munich on Saturday given how Borussia Dortmund defended in the first half. Blimey. No, what I mean is, is that obviously a, a Chelsea fan base that, that think Thomas Tuchel shouldn't have gone in the first place and in comes Graham Potter. And it, as soon as the fans turn at any club, not just Chelsea, it's very, very difficult to manage under those circumstances. You had a chance on Saturday if you don't know what you're doing. You're getting sacked in the morning. It just showed that the, that brief run of wins that you had last month, it didn't really repair the damage. It bit like bit like with the owners. It, it just sort of prolongs the, the situation. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Simon, do Chelsea fans need to um, grow up a little bit? <laughs> this period under... Abramovich where it wasn't a normal situation where you basically have what's turned out to be unlimited money 
And this ability to just dispose of people very, very, very quickly if you're not winning every single season. Really, Chelsea fans haven't been able to deal with that this season at all. You can make the argument, yes, of course, Chelsea shouldn't be 10. And it should be where Manchester United, Tottenham, Newcastle are probably in terms of battling for that top four with the squad that they've got. But do Chelsea fans have to start to change that mentality a little bit? Start to change that psychology? The club is going to be different now to a certain extent. Oh, for sure. But I... I... You've got 20 years of this weird boom and bust cycle that kind of succeeded in spite of the madness. Chelsea fans are used to winning trophies on virtually an annual basis. There's There's been the odd blip. And when it didn't work, the manager would be sacked and they get someone else in. It's happened where, of course, in seasons like this, they've sacked a manager, put, them, put someone in and won the Champions League. Maybe they're, they're hoping for... Th- third time lucky. I don't know how long it's going to take for Chelsea fans to change their mindset just as much as the club need to change their mindset because it's just been the way for two decades. It's very easy for the owners to come out and say, trust the process, trust the process. But you're talking to a fan base here that don't trust the process if it's going wrong. It's, well, trust the process as long as it's working. And it'll be the same for the next guy. That next guy... What kind of guy do they want, David, do you think? And how are they balancing short-term and long-term? Because, I mean, are they looking for someone who might win them the Champions League this year and get them into the top half? Or are they looking for whatever happens this season happens, but this is our project and we're looking for the next three years, four years, five years. I certainly don't think the win us the Champions League and finishing the top half is guaranteed because it's being stressed to us that this is going to be a full, thorough, exhaustive, diligent process that is unlikely to produce a quick appointment and that despite understandably tons of reports already being out there about favourites, candidates. Yeah, they will always, like most clubs, have a wider list of candidates for potential future managers, but I don't think they've finalised it for this process yet. I also am assured there's no firm favourite right now. And that indicates that you could see Bruno, Saltor and the rest of the staff that stayed behind remain in charge for a considerable period, maybe even to the end of the season. Don't forget this ownership have now undertaken two managerial changes in less than a year in charge. And the patience among the fan base might start to wear thin with them quite quickly if they don't get this right. There could be more availability in the summer if, for example, Nagelsmann is one that they really are going to have conversations with and and potentially take forward. There are some quite strong suggestions that he doesn't want to start up again until May, June, which means that clubs like Chelsea, Tottenham, maybe Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain will have to wait. To your point on the qualities and, and what they're looking for, definitely given the heavy frontline involvement of the front-facing owners in uh, Todd Bowley and Badad Egbali, alongside the sporting directors they've put to lead the football project, who are Lawrence Stewart and Paul Wynn Stanley. They are so sort of hands-on, roll your sleeves up, get involved, that somebody is going to have to fit into that sort of collegiate, collaborative atmosphere. And I think they like that about Graham Potter. I'm not calling this person a yes man, but some of these 
big name managers with major personalities and a desire for sort of control and authority. That's perhaps how they viewed Thomas Tuchel. I'm not saying that I know they did, but clearly he's in that elite bracket and will want to have control over a lot of uh, decision-making unilaterally might not suit them as well as somebody at sort of Potter's level. That means they're sure to speak to a number of candidates and it, it might not end up going the way that, that everybody thinks. However, on top of those qualities, most of which Potter exhibited, I do think somebody that can genuinely compete for the biggest honours and has perhaps shown that, not necessarily won them en masse, but has shown that they have been in that bracket or that they've got credible evidence of being able to get there. Which, with reflection, and the point that Simon's making about the fan base expectation, you could ask if Graham Potter was destined to fail there. Really impressive um, track record in management so far. I've spoken on this pod a long, long time ago about how highly he was regarded in the FA as a potential future England manager. But clubs like Chelsea seem by and large only to succeed when they bring in that top level of coach, which is a relatively small bracket. And it does raise the question, well, how do you get there then if there's, you know, you're only able to turn to them? But perhaps there are some intermediary options. You know, we're seeing... Impressive rising stars around the game. Um, Ruben Amarin is one who who's being mentioned a lot. He'll cost them seventeen million pounds. I think it's come down to sixteen million euros at this point in time across the the span of his uh, contract. It's been reducing, but yeah, it will be expensive. Although you'd pay much more for a, for a player. Roberto De Zerbi at Brighton is very highly rated. I'm not sure if Chelsea would go there with. Brighton again and whether he will actually be let go after just a year in charge. Other names that are being mentioned, the likes of Marco Silva impressing down the road at Fulham. So perhaps you look away from the sort of more mature bracket and and somebody who's more rising, who has been showing their ability to compete towards where Chelsea are and, and maybe Graham Potter hadn't. I think there's real, you know, big questions to be asked about where Maurizio Pochettino fits into all of this with all of these clubs. Nagelsmann, of course, it's a complicated appointment given some of the things that happened at Bayern and the finances involved because he's still being paid by them. This is not as clear-cut as uh, many would think. And also these new owners are still learning on the job. And so perhaps they don't know precisely what they want. Just at the current state of play, though, Simon. So Br Bruno is in charge. You came with Graham Potter, was part of his backroom stuff. Actually, Graham Potter brought him into coaching because he was a defender at Brighton coming towards the end of his career as well. Look, sometimes coaching staff stay on, sometimes they depart. What's Bruno going to do differently that, that Graham Potter didn't shout at them? And also, the second part of that <laughs> is, the second part yeah. is, is Anthony Barry on, on gardening leave? Because he's the highly rated one, but Thomas Tuchel wants to take him to Bayern. Yeah, he's effectively on guarding leave. He, he's It's been agreed that he stays away whilst the two clubs continue to right. discuss terms. I'd be very surprised if an appointment is made before we know who's going to meet in the Champions League semi-final. It stands to reason. I One of the last things I got to ask Graham Potter on was on Friday, was, was about this situation. And, and not that he was the best communicator in press conferences. Again, uh, I, I think not an important issue, but an issue. Uh, I don't think he was the sort of charismatic person that would get Chelsea's name out there enough 
for the owner's liking. But he he would talk about he, he talked very briefly that that was obviously something the clubs were talking about. But in terms of Bruno, I don't know, Mark. I, I mean, this is one of the weirdest things is that when you talk about sort of interim managers that Chelsea have had in the party, I've already referred to managers that have won the Champions League after a, a, a mid-season sacking. I mean, Roberto Di Matteo uh, stepped up most memorably in 2012 when Viers Barros was sacked. He'd obviously had much more of an insight into the squad back then. I don't know how much of an impact Bruno Salter is going to have on the team. If I was a player, a high-profile player that has won many, many things, I'm not exactly going to be that inspired, I don't think, um, with all due respect to Bruno Salter, ahead of a, a game against Liverpool and and more importantly, a game against Real Madrid next week in the Champions League. Yeah, I think Simon raises a really good point around communication because there was a feeling among some I spoke to that he'd perhaps not got the message right at times within his communication. The scrutiny around his words was far sharper at Chelsea than it's been at any time in his career before. And uh, there was perhaps a feeling that at time his, times his confidence was getting knocked. He actually spoke publicly about death threats he'd been receiving and and what sort of impact that took. And then so it turned your attention to who the next appointment might be and what their level of communication is. Uh, and that's where maybe the English language will come into it with some of these potential options. Uh, th- there are within the industry a lot of fans of somebody like Spalletti doing a great job at Napoli, but his grasp of English is not so... Strong. One pretty obvious and logical candidate is Luis Enrique, who uh, has done an incredible job at Barcelona, not so good at Spain. He is available. Uh, I think he's got a grasp of English that is pretty good. And people do speak very, very highly of him as a as a person and as a coach and manager, man manager as well. So I think the point you make, David, around the scrutiny of Otter's Everything he said, the way he dressed, the way he dressed, the way he was like, as one of our colleagues shared on Twitter last night, it was, it was like, you know, he was being asked about his glow up after he joined Chelsea, which now just seems so ridiculous given, you know, five months in, he looks almost like, like so many of these managers do at the end of these reigns. They just look so like a shadow of themselves. And I remember when, actually, I think it was with you, Chappers, when we spoke to, to Thomas Frank, one of the things he said about Graham Potter was like, if he was asked to give advice to him, it would be like, carry on being yourself. And that's one of the things I find that really seemed to happen at Chelsea was Graham Potter kind of stopped being Graham Potter. It was like he was under so much pressure to look like a Chelsea manager, to sound like a Chelsea manager. And it's just total rubbish. Like, it's total rubbish because... Carlo Ancelotti was completely different to Jose Mourinho, who was completely different to Thomas Tuchel, who was completely different to Gus Hiddick. They were all successful in their own way at Chelsea. We're all complicit in that, aren't we? Absolutely. Within yeah. media and fans, we're all complicit in that. And and I think it happens more to... It definitely happens more to British managers, I think, that we, that we focus on that. I, I'm not sure Eric Ten Hag, for example, has ever been questioned about whether he he looks or sounds like a Manchester United manager has he and at times and at times maybe he hasn't but I don't I don't remember the same level of scrutiny 
this is unscientific and it's just from being around these people quite a bit and you attend press conferences and you just pick up on vibes and mannerisms and somebody like Eric Ten Hag, I think, holds the room really well. He dominates, he exudes confidence. He has had some, a little bit of scrutiny. He's he's often in the newspapers going out cycling, going out for dinner and, and photographed in a way that I, I think is pretty consistent with others. But I, I completely, I would completely disagree on that bit in that Eric Ten Hag cycling around South Manchester mm-hmm. has has actually been, in some ways, viewed as a positive, by, yeah. by certainly by the, by the people in the area and a man at blah, blah, blah. If Graham Potter had cycled down, you know, Fulham Broadway <laughs> or whatever, he'd have been ridiculed. That That's... That's actually my point. No, and 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 I take that, and there's definitely some credence in it because maybe there's a we're, we're a little bit preconditioned that these English guys that have come from a lower level are out of their depth is the phrase that goes around a lot, and certainly from being in that environment, I felt it with David Moyes at Manchester United, and I'm a massive fan of his, and he did an incredible job at Everton, and he felt when you were there at Everton that he was really in his element. He was commanding the press conference room. He was, you know, biting back at journalists where necessary and he he looked unflustered by it. I remember being at Carrington for a a few news conferences when quite straightforward questions that may have had the potential to create bigger headlines because you're at Manchester United as opposed to Everton and your Manchester United manager all of a sudden he seemed to think about it in in much greater detail than he needed to and was perhaps a bit flustered and uncomfortable at times. It did feel, whatever it means, that he was a little bit out of his depth in in that role and the public eye being so different. I think that is relatable for Potter and the points that Adam is making, that suddenly you are thrown in unfairly into this completely different goldfish bowl and people react differently. And some of the way Potter was leapt upon by sections of our industry and, and us and the public and, and social media helps create a, a sort of narrative around them that often then becomes so all-encompassing that it, it contributes to their downfall. I think we're being as generous as we can be about Graham Potter, given the record, what was it, seven wins in 22, nine games where they didn't score a goal. I mean, the ownership, the situation that Graham Potter kind of has to take on in terms of the amount of players that the club have on their books. I mean, you know, maybe you could say a more brutal character just basically just says eight or nine of these players just go and train somewhere else, right? And that would have been a very, very risky and brave thing to do. That's something that maybe he could have done differently, but maybe actually that was something the club had to say to him, if you want to do that, because we are giving you so many first team players that we will back you in doing that. I don't know if that conversation happened. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. And... The other aspect of it is, really, actually, if you look at the ownership since they came in, have they made a good decision on the football side? You know, has a transfer gone well? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, 
everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. How many of these players are at the moment, this may be a horrible question for you to answer, how many of those players at the moment <laughs> that have come in since the summer, so summer and January under the new ownership, are you sitting there thinking, yeah, good deal, that, we've got a player? At most a handful. Really, that many? You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself time to think, Adam. Uh, <laughs> How long have you got? I need another few hours. No, but I, I think of Enzo Fernandez, um, noticeably the, the talk of how much he cost slightly de- uh, died down a little bit. He was scored by John McGinn on Saturday. Hey, David, help me out here. Um, <laughs> but, but generally, generally, though, you can tell he, he's a top-class addition. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, Benoit Badishil, one of the most bizarre decisions about Graham Potter's team selection on Saturday, as soon as I saw the team sheet and who was being lined up to play at the back, you instantly feared the worst. But he, he's been a good signing, even though he hasn't played as much lately. That feels like a Champions League squad decision because he's not in the Champions League squad, so give games to Koulibaly, etc. to keep him going. I can't see how it's actually going to get better short-term for Chelsea. Be- no. Because of how much money they've spent, they are going to have to do some very, very difficult squad management this summer. And this situation they've created with Mason Mount, where, you know, that contract is is an issue. And I mean, I'm really bewildered from the outside about how Mason Mount has gone from like Chelsea's golden boy, this guy who's automatically in the team that the fans love. So all of a sudden, right, I mean, the divisions around him on social media compared to maybe match going fans to a certain extent, a player that has been on the bench a bit this season. like it's, it's been completely baffling to me. And then you have this situation where Chelsea seem to view him as, well, we can't give you that much money. Oh, yeah, but also if we tell you that we view you as like a £70 million player. <laughs> and there is a clear conflict in that where it just doesn't make sense as a position. And unfortunately, the, 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 the fatal flaw in Chelsea's idea about giving all these players and managers six, seven, eight-year contracts is this idea... The players who are already at the club, young, talented academy players, are all going to be, who are in a competitive market and could go somewhere else if they want to, are all just going to say, yeah, I'll sign for six years on less wages. It's just not going to happen. I think complex is uh, is the word that you used there, Adam. I think complex does sum it up. As far as divisions on social media, that's actually been going on almost since day one. It's intensified this season because Mason Mount has been experiencing his worst season as a a Chelsea player. The timing couldn't be any worse when there's talk about how much he's supposedly demanding. Although I'm led to believe he's not making demands, it's a case of rejecting what's been put to him. But it is a, a bizarre scenario where 
as things stand, it's it's very much more likely he leaves than stays. And it's down to some of the factors you mentioned, the length of contract. He's not going to sign a deal into his 30s. And the salary, whilst it's already admirable to try and get the wage bill under control, something that Davis talked about quite a lot, it's unrealistic to expect players, just generally, race amount won't be the only one this happens to, to suddenly sort of go, oh yeah, I'll... Uh, Every player is going to agree to suddenly ha uh, sign up to incentivise contracts where they're penalised if the club doesn't qualify for the Champions League, for example. It's very unrealistic when there's clubs out there that will go, well, come to us and we'll pay you a lot more regardless. And this taps into Adam's question about the ownership. It's quite extraordinary if you step back and think about it. They, they are learning on the job at one of the biggest clubs in world football and they're doing it themselves. Yes, they've now got appointments in place which will hopefully for them, stand them in good stead for the future. But they came into Chelsea Football Club post-Abramovich at the top of Premier League and European football and started doing it themselves without initially a sporting director. They committed huge finance on the likes of Raheem Sterling and Kaladu Koulibaly, transfer fees and salaries. Suddenly there was a, a shift and, and they would attribute that to the need for early significant investment to plug certain gaps in the team, especially in defence where a few players had, had left um, by virtue of free transfer. And then we find ourselves in this position where the wage bill is trying to be cut dramatically, but some of the new signings can look over their shoulder and see Sterling and Koulibaly's wage and Reese James's new contract. And then they're being told, well, this is part of the new Chelsea, long contracts, low wages, high transfer fees. And then the Mason Mount situation comes to the fore. And then you've got different people clearly with different roles in, in the recruitment process. Now, on top of Lawrence Stewart and Paul Winstanley, there's Joe Shields who's come in as well. There's Christopher Vivell, formerly of RB Leipzig. And there was Graham Potter in the mix as well uh, with Kyle McCauley, his own recruitment specialist. From what I hear, they were very keen on Noni Madweki, who a lot of people have said was an unnecessary signing. Why did the ownership do that? But I think it was something that Graham Potter was heavily on board with. The ownership brought in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Mark, you were asking earlier about 27 shots on goal. Well, there's a school of thought that says even if you don't like Aubameyang as your top future striker and he's not going to be a regular starter, at least put him on the bench and give him the opportunity to uh, come on and help the team and finish some of these chances, given he's got an impressive track record in, in European football uh, and, and Chelsea are not scoring goals. So th there is all of this going on left, right and centre. They're going to have to comply with financial fair play, which means shifting some players. I know, you know Kante hasn't signed his contract yet. Kovacic is out of contract the year after. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Mount Aubameyang. Uh, the year after, it's the both goalkeepers 2025 um, I think Conor Gallagher, Hakim Ziyech. This is all uh, Ben Chilwell too. This is all happening at once. Lukaku coming back as well is a big thing in the in the minds of the hierarchy, no doubt. They're trying to roll out a multi-club model at some point in the not-too-distant future. Two quick things, Simon. Potter to Leicester and Rodgers to Chelsea. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Brendan Rodgers to Chelsea. I mean, what I would say... What I would say is the chances of it happening have improved with the change of regime um, because I did write a piece a few years ago that certain things that Rogers said and did upset the previous regime as much as as much as he was admired as a coach for, for the work he did there 
and subsequently did at other clubs. There were things that, that sort of rankled. That won't be a stumbling book anymore. But I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't sort of say he would be up the top of the list. We're now 13 managerial changes in this Premier League season. What does that tell you? How desperate everyone is. Desperate to stay in it. Desperate to win it. Very little recognition that actually how brilliant the product is. It makes it a lot more difficult, right? And you have a lot of people who think it's a lot easier than what it is and then they get into it and they realise it's so irrational. It's very difficult to war game it, to plot it. And people's responses to it are also very irrational because, you know, a lot of a lot of people have to be very, very rational nine to five, Monday to Friday, and then on three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon or 12.30 or 7.30 or 5.30, they have to be, that's their, that's their outlet to just be silly. And a lot of the people making decisions can't really come to terms with that. Would you agree, David, then, finally, in that this is a, this is a desperate, desperate league at the moment? Yeah. The stakes are higher than ever. The rewards are bigger than ever. The consequences at the opposite end of the spectrum are more damaging than ever. It also is a lesson to us to treat with a pinch of salt when the clubs are you know, talking about long-term strategies and uh, commitment to managers. And despite external pressure, we're and, and and I don't just mean in the case of Chelsea, you hear this sort of thing from pretty much every club, um, patience and this is our guy and ultimately it's just a results business. The atmosphere of the fan base definitely, despite any denials around it, is a significant factor. Everybody uses the example of how Arsenal stuck by Mikel Arteta when he was under pressure. He did have a bit of a body of evidence before that people seem to forget that he won the FA Cup, again, you know, beating likes of Manchester City and Chelsea en route. But, you know, Leicester stuck by Brendan Rodgers, you might say there was, was a lot of financial reasons why they did so before eventually pulling the plug. And given that... We were always told that Leicester won't do it because of the financial reasons. If that is true, and they've still done it, it just goes to underline Adam's point on desperation. David, Simon, Adam, thank you very much. Subscribe to The Athletic now for a pound a month for 12 months by going to theathletic.com slash football pod. I would imagine uh, there are a lot of long reads appearing on there from Simon in particular. Thanks for listening. See you soon. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 